Hello and welcome to the A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I get to talk to Mr. Bill Oberlander, Executive Creative Director and Founder of Oberland, a purpose-driven agency that helps companies like the Nature Conservancy and St. Baldrick's Foundation create brands with higher purpose. Bill came into the studio and we had a great conversation. He's a friend of mine. Uh, I worked for him, um, gosh, over 20 years ago at Kirschenbaum Bond and Partners. He has always been somebody I've looked up to as truly A-list material. He talks about coming to New York City without knowing anything, scheduling a shoot where uh, he schedules the shoot and hasn't gotten client approval, so the uh, account people kind of freak out. And then uh, he talks about leaving the agency world and going to be the uh, director of communications at the Robin Hood Foundation, which ends up being the, the thing that changes him and reinvents himself to becoming um, the founder of Overland, which is, which is all about uh, brands that uh, can change the world. It was a great conversation. I love Bill. I think you will too. So uh, let's get to it. But first, the A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy, an ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow AdHouseNYC on Facebook. And now my interview with Bill Oberlander. So here you are in the studio. Yes. We don't uh, we do not do this often enough. Enough. A lot of times but I have to is... call people on the phone. Right. Which is easier sometimes because I can oh, just Oh, meaning like... that you rather, most people just phone in. Uh, well, we started at phoning in, and now uh, we've been having more and more people come in because, I don't know, people it's like cozy. It is nice, right? The studio is nice. Totally we have a piano. Nice. We have Matt Stillo over there uh, giving us uh, the direction. I would say this is luxe. Everything. This is a luxe arrangement. Yeah, it's nice. Beautiful. Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I wonder. I always wonder what their studios are like because it's important. You know what freaks me out when I'm watching, when I'm watching radio, when I'm listening to radio and I fall in love with, you know, I have enough, I have like a, you know, in my brain, I have an affair with the DJ or the spokesperson. Right. And then I see them. Right. In real life. And I'm like that, you shouldn't look like that. No, this is why I signed you to look. An audio podcast. Right. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention that Tom and I are dressed exactly the same today, which is designed for radio. Which is a really good thing uh, for me, it's a good compliment for me because I always thought of you as like the height of you were the Don Draper uh, mm. of my of my existence because I I'm gonna somehow twist it into a compliment. <laughs> I no, it was it was it was uh, uh, I remember coming into Kershaw We we worked together at Kershaw Correct. I worked for you at Kershaw Uh and um, I remember being very intimidated by you. And and in in fact, I sent my book to Kershaw the first time from. FIT before I got the job at Ogilvy Direct. 
uh, and it, I got a As Seen by Bill O mm. sticker on it, which I still have at home, and I meant to bring in today. I didn't. <laughs> but it's got a big red X through an no, I. No. It was an I with an X, right? Or a check mark. That was just a graphic element. Didn't, it was a graphic it was, element. I didn't take a sharp. You put an X through your no, name. No, no, no. Yeah, no. But it said As Seen by Bill, and it, you wrote on Bill O. Which I thought was really nice because it showed that you actually looked at people's books. Right. And that was before computers where we can keep spreadsheets of right. things. So you just you, – you used to have books all analog. over your office. Yeah. 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 It was messy. Did you like that better? Kind of. Yeah. Because the tactile, physical. you know. Yeah. I mean now everything's so fast and so instantaneous you just don't have time to even like zip or something. Right. But it's just, you know, send me the link. You get an email and you're like, oh, where did I put that? And you don't know where it yeah. is. Yeah. Are you like me? Like you have to print out the email just to get some orientation, then you'll go to the link? I can't uh, look at work on an email. I can't annotate like all the post-its and everything. I Like I, it just bothers me. It's right. like the the act of doing that. So I always, yeah, if I'm, if I'm getting work over an email, which I hate to do, but I print it out and then I write on it with a pen. I just want to so. put a sharper point on our wardrobe that I walked out of my apartment today and a bird <laughs> shat right on my shoulder. You cleaned it up. Well, though. yeah, of course. Don okay. Draper does that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I thought it's going to be a good day. Good thing you had your grooming kit with you. Mm. It was called the bathroom in a Starbucks. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have cameras, so we're good. Exactly. You could have been have covered a face in for radio. Um, so, Bill Oberlander, welcome of Oberland. Welcome to uh, the A List podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we like to talk about. We like to bring you back to uh, the way back in the wayback machine to mm. uh, to where you grew up. We like to start there. Right. Where, where did Bill Oberlander grow up? William Oberlander. Not too far from the Christmans. Yes. So uh, I was born and raised uh, across the Raritan River uh, in South Amboy, New Jersey, down the shore, as we like to say. It apparently it was a beach town until uh, Exxon Mobil. And and oh. Shell Oil and they brought in all these uh, petroleum yeah. uh, industries <laughs> yeah and then turned into a parking lot yeah uh, but yeah I, I mean I went to I you know grew up and uh, had three sisters and uh, you know it's the sixties it's the seventies and yeah. you're watching a lot of TV a lot of commercials and reading magazines and uh, were you were you always aware of advertising growing up or yeah I mean jingles I could I could, you yeah. know I could name that jingle in three notes you yeah know, like. Yeah, it was America. That's yeah, what, that's what we grew up on. We so. were singing the Peak Freens jingle the other day. I was teaching it to the to the young people at the office. What is it? Peak Freens are extraordinarily serious cookies. If you're <laughs> a grown up or plan to be one, you'll know what we mean. It was all about how like Peak Freens are grown up cookies. They're not for kids. Jesus, which is probably why there's no Peak Freens. I wasn't watching that channel. Yeah, things stuck with me like. By Menon. <laughs> Nabisco. I met the yeah. guy who wrote those. Oh, Nab oh really? Ken Erickson, yeah, like four oh, notes. Awesome. He retired at like 40. What, uh, so when, what did you want to do when you were a kid? What did, what, did you, what, did you have a sense of what you would be when you grew up? Was it like white picket fence? Like yeah, you know, uh, I've been, uh, targeted as that guy who always knew what he wanted to do. But, I mean, it wasn't gelled. It was just kind of this vague notion. Mm -hmm. um, I went to an all-guys Catholic high school, um, and there were there were two classes. One was a fine arts class over four years. Mm -hmm. There was one class in four years yeah. of fine arts. Right. And there was another class of drafting, mechanical okay. drafting. Uh -huh. And uh, I just—but I was always doodling and always doing—I was actually the— uh, 
the cartoonist for the um, for the uh, Christian Brothers Academy newsletter. Right. Um, so I was always leaning that way, but my father wanted me to be a business major. So uh, he wanted me to go to Notre Dame, and I was going to follow in the footsteps of my cousin. And I always had this hankering to play in the arts. Yeah. Um, what, so, who were your like? Who were you, who did you want to be when you were growing up? Like, what? Who were your like? Oh God! Those are like an art. Like, M. C. Escher. Like, right. 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 It's like Norman Rockwell. I mean, yeah. my grandfather gave me all these illustrators. Art books. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know about the. It wasn't until I got to university that I was a fine arts major. University of Delaware. I went to University of Delaware, um, and my father and I cut a deal where I would major in. Uh, visual communications and mm -hmm. minor in business administration, mm -hmm. so I could have both skills. So I could actually, you know, be an accountant when I ended up selling velvet paintings on came in uh, handy in, in a garage. Are you using any of those skills now? It's like I said, it seems like I planned this, right? But uh, uh, so no, I started out. I went, so I graduated from this prep school, mm -hmm. um, and majored. So they had a really nice art college inside the university. It had a really nice business administration department. So right. I had both those things going for me. But uh, I started out in fine arts, and then my sophomore year, I switched to graphic design. And my junior year, I switched to communication design, which didn't exist. Right. Um, I just kept coming up, to get back to your question, I kept coming to the city and going to like the one show and the art directors club and the AIGA and yeah. uh, the illustrators. Oh, you knew society, about those the illustration so Society of Illustrators. So I'd go to those things, and I got, I got more and more excited about two things. Communication business, whatever that was going to be. Right. And New York City. Like those were, I was falling in love with those things all at once. And I remember we went on a field trip to BBDO, and one of our class, one of my uh, classmates had a cousin or a brother or an uncle who worked at BBDO. And, he, of course, he was sitting in his office with his feet up on the desk, and yeah. he was sketching, and he was yes. – uh, probably stoned, and I, you know, or drinking both. Yeah, yeah. And I just in the back of my head, I said, "This doesn't look like work." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in. That looks like fun. Do so you know I put who that, that was? I put that on the horizon. That was uh, stoned and high and drunk. I, I don't remember, but it looked like yeah. it didn't look like work. It looked like you know more doodling. Yeah. So I thought that would be something to to strive for. Right. Uh, what about Bewitched? Because I remember watching Bewitched, and that was uh, my first. Bewitched, there was a yeah. Ted Royer talks about that too, of like his like that was his first like oh I can do that. Yeah, but it wasn't really. As a kid, you didn't even know what he was doing. It right, was, he he was wearing a suit, and I only had one professor for four years in in wow. the visual communications department. Who was that? Uh, his name is Ray Nichols, and I graduated with the same class as Kirk Souter. I don't know if you know Kirk. He has an agency on the on the West Coast called Enzo, which is all about mission-based marketing as well. Oh, wow. Um, and Craig Cutler, the photographer. Yeah. I think Rob Riley graduated from from, yes, from Delaware. I think yeah. I actually went down to Delaware to do a, uh, an off-site uh, uh, teaching like, session down there. Yeah, and he, sure. was still, he was still a student when I was in the business. Yeah. So, um, but I, you know, I'd come back with the annuals and I said to Ray, I said, can this be our curriculum? Can we can can I organically design my study around these books and wow wing it and he agreed I mean I didn't do graphic design anymore I started doing advertising how did was, you how did you figure that out how did you like how did you have the um, the personal like like that you could that you had the right to like I just change just your just Ray was just he had a big open heart and 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 I, we had a really good rapport and I. 
I, I mean, I thought design was, I mean, of course, I still do a lot of design. I mean, as a, as a visual communicator, you do a lot of design. We can get back to how people don't read later yeah. in the interview. But yes. uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just thought that advertising was just, it just had more sizzle, more flash, more fun, yeah. more shoots, more casting sessions. It just yeah. seemed a lot shinier to me than graphic design. Mm -hmm. Louder. You know, graphic design was very revered and very quiet and Milton Glaser and right. lots of colors and typefaces, but it wasn't fast. It wasn't fun enough for me. Right. So I just went to Ray. I came back with the Art Director's Annual, the One Club, the DNAD, and I said, can we just study this? There wasn't yeah. even the, a format, a beginning, a middle, and end. It was just, we're just going to dive into this for two semesters wow. or four semesters. So. And what, what did you, what, what, at, do you remember the ads that were in those annuals? Like the things that you were looking at, oh like God. the kind of things, was, were they was, George Lois, like that kind of stuff? Uh, no, I was post Lois. It was more like, you know, Amorati and Puris and Ali, Ali, uh, not Ali McBeal. I think she was an actress. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Ali Gargano. It was, it was BMW, it was FedEx, it was Alka-Seltzer, right. it was, uh, you know, uh, Purdue Chicken, mm -hmm. Scott McHaven Sloves, those kinds of right. places. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, to make it in New York was such a crazy, wonderful ambition to just show up, get an apartment. Right. You know, it, it took me forever to like to to get a gig. You know, because the right. Google the Google wasn't wasn't set up yet. No, the Google was not set up yet. Um, it would have been good if you came up with that idea. Uh, the Google. It was somebody else, somebody else's department. But um, we, you know, just my friend Tom Millar and Dan Crepain and. Three of us just jumped in a in a car. And we, These are guys from from college. Well, we all graduated together. Okay, we were all seniors at University of Delaware. Mm -hmm. And uh, were they in advertising as well? Or yes. Or, okay. Right. Um, and uh, my sister Jill had a boyfriend who lived in Forest Hills, Queens. Uh huh. And I just surfed his couch for a couple of days until I found an apartment of our own. The three of us moved in together. It it took me like three or four months to realize that Queens is not. Manhattan. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know there were five boroughs. It, yeah, just, yeah. it didn't look like Delaware. Yeah. We're in New York. Yeah. Um, and you see just, the skyline. From I just kept streets. falling asleep on the F train and ending up in Jamaica. Yeah. And it wasn't that pretty. So um, so how did you get? So you're, you're riding that couch. You're like, okay, I'm going to make it here. And what was your daily grind of trying to get a gig? Yeah. I, I think I heard a podcast earlier. I'm not sure who it was, but it was a combination of on one on my left hand was the red book. Um, yeah. The on my right hand was the yellow pages, and in the middle was a rotary phone. Yeah. And I just dial for dollars. Right. I cross pollinate the numbers and yeah. the departments and try to find somebody. And I, honestly, God, I think it was sixty five or sixty six interviews. Wow. Before I got a job in the studio doing paste up. In what studio? Where? Uh, it was a shop called ACNR, and okay. I think it was part of. Omnicom, it was inside the DDB building. Okay. But they were doing a lot of fashion stuff. It was a lot of high-end uh, uh, fashion and, and cosmetics and things like that. But I was only in that job for 90 days. I mean, I what happened was I, I, I had started the, the interview uh, momentum mm -hmm. that it just carried on. So even though I was right. working, I got follow-up phone calls to see somebody else. And you kept going on And interviews. I kept going. I think I started in September. I left at Christmas. And I walked down the street and became an art director at McCaffrey McCall. Oh, wow. Do you remember McCaffrey McCall? I do remember that from basically from you working there. That's right. the only thing I remember. Right. I think they were the first New York City agency to be bought, to be consumed. And I think they were bought by Saatchi. And 
What was in your book? What were you? Uh, tell me about some of those interviews. What are some of the things you learned in those interviews? Did you make mistakes? Did you? Oh God! I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm just like everybody else. I mean, the work was awful. Yeah. You know, I th- I, th- I think I did. I think I did a campaign for canned tuna fish and. Uh, and they were marker was, comps. Or, it was all you know, marker comps, yeah, yeah. and I was trying to come up with words that rhymed with tuna. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like some kind of pun, some kind of rhyming, yeah. Yeah. rhyming pun. And uh, um, I, I honestly, I don't know why I got hired. Right. I really don't. I think I think the guy in the studio, the studio manager, thought that I just uh, was a hard worker. Yeah. And he just, I and I liked, it. I liked getting in at eight in the morning, make first one there, making the coffee. Yeah. That's what I do now, by the way. Right. Um, and, uh, the second job I got, I think was rendering. I think I had a really good wrist. So I would right. render the crap out of marker drawings. You knew how to draw. I knew how to draw. So you had that, that thing and your personality was good enough to get you that job. Is that what you think got you the job? The, the second your, one? Your, your, yeah. Yeah. I think the, de- the gentleman who hired me, his name is Carl Christie and, um, uh-huh. uh, he worked on Canadian club ABC television, right. a little bit of Mercedes Benz. It was all all Big high end premium stuff. stuff. And my job was, you know, I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit with a writer and, and, and right. come up with ideas and brand platforms and those things. I, so you hadn't learned that in the in your course. Oh, that I forgot. You made I left yourself. this part out. I, I actually went to school at night. I went to SVA. Oh, okay. Um, Lauren told me not to tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't like to um, talk about that. but I went at night, and I just right. I took a couple of night courses, and I had. Right. Um, Mark Moffat, who went to, who was um, a writer at Scali, and mm-hmm. um, maybe two night classes to wrap my head around. What is this thing? We have to come up with ideas before we start rendering them. Right. So, but I think that Carl, he just thought that I had good taste, and he knew I was a hard worker. And, and quite frankly, I mean, I would, I would render the crap out of these comps right. as if they were Mona Lisas. I mean, I would spend. Yeah. I stayed until like two o'clock in the morning. Doing a marker comp. I remember I had marker comp classes at FIT, which uh, now seems so silly. But um, yeah, we would uh, spend a lot of time on those. We would cut them out and paste them, you know, uh, rubber cement them to the backgrounds that we had created. Like it was crazy. Right. We, it was do, like Photoshop. Do you, do you remember Rubyleth? I do remember. <laughs> I had a class in Rubyleth. I dated a girl named Rubyleth. I bet. No, I'm serious. Uh, it was, yeah, I was doing paste up. I actually had a hard time. In the studio, uh, at one point, you remember they had those T-squares that actually yeah. had cables going down the sides? Right. So, so they, they would always stay, stay straight. Uh, razor blades got caught on the underbelly. And, right. of course, I came in because I'm so fastidious. I started cleaning with Windex. And just every time I wiped, ah. it kept getting redder. Ah. And I said, I'm not ah. really, I'm probably not going <laughs> to make a career out of this. Yeah. Um, so that changed. But uh, so what, what were the first uh, – what was your first – uh, partner and your first sort of interaction with working with someone and sitting down and, and coming up with ideas and how did you, how did you do it then and how did that evolve? Hmm, I'm bad, so bad with names. I remember it, it basically was kind of someone did jujitsu on me. Next thing you know, there was a you know a, a writer sitting in the same room with me and she started saying, "What about this idea? What about right. that idea?" And I just I just took to it and just yeah. started saying, "Well, I think that's good, but maybe about something." It was you know. Being a creative in an ad agency is not that hard, you know. It's just a matter of kind of letting down your guard and just being an idiot so that you can get past all the bad ideas to get to the good ideas. So I think part of becoming a really good creative person is just um, 
not being self-conscious and not right. worrying about the bad ideas yeah. and sounding like an idiot and just yeah. so that the partner can feel the same and then open up and then you you know you get that yeah. that thing building. But no, I, I mean I I kind of dabbled at McCaffrey McCall. I think I was there for four years and wow, I dabbled for four years. You dabbled for four now, years. Now now I'm 25 years old. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how I got to McCann. I went from McCaffrey McCall to McCann. Yeah. Um, and McCann was the big place back then, right? That was the. I think it was like it was an. I think McCaffrey McCall was only in New York, and McCann Erickson was global. Right, and, right, you know, right. Lots of Coke. First thing I was on was Coca Cola. Oh, I, wow. I actually was in the the secret. Uh, um, what's it called the the hideout for the bunker. Oh. For how to fix new Coke. Oh. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got there just in time for them to Tell introduce Tell us about New Coke. Coke, though. There might be some people who don't know what you mean by New Coke. Uh, by the way, I didn't have the answer. <laughs> Huge problem, New Coke. I think I came in with a boombox and said, I had the answer. It was called rap music. And I, <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, there's this thing called Run DMC. This is so awesome. Let's just have people drinking and dancing. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's then, a new thing. <clears throat> next. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, uh, well, t- to, the, to the listening audience, Coke... Um, and it's not unusual that you're trying to figure out how to, you know, extend the brand. I don't know what I don't know what the motivation was to say that old Coke. It was just called Coke. Now they call, yeah. or at the time they switched to be classic Coke, Coca-Cola. new Coke. Yeah, it wasn't Diet Coke. It wasn't Coke Zero Black. Right. It was just, they just changed the formula. I don't think they did a lot of focus groups, and yeah. it backfired. So it was this people big, hated it. Can you imagine before Twitter? Um, yeah. So it was a big consumer pushback, and they had to basically, you know, eat shit and 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 reverse it and take it off the shelves and yeah. somehow cover up, you know. And it, t- it was sweeter, right? Or or it was less sweet. It tasted more like Pepsi. Is really what, oh, is that what, it, was? what it comes down to. Yeah, I think that so. Cola War thing. That's what it was. They're trying to. My win dad the was Cola a big War. Pepsi guy, and I remember him saying like, "Ah, they're just trying to be more like Pepsi." And mm. yeah. Anyway, yeah. but you were there in the room when that happened. A young man, not knowing, sort of clueless, and and but faking it. Well, how do you fake it when you're in that sort of a situation? He, like, he, uh, I don't know. It's so long ago, Tom. I don't know what I have for breakfast. Let me think. Um, <laughs> it, you, you again. You just nobody can make a mistake. You know, everyone's right. just winging it. They brought in creative people from all around the world. Yeah, they had the the CCO from London come in and handle the whole thing. And right. We would go away. We had two-hour sessions where we would, you know, go to a coffee shop and come with as many ideas as possible, then come back. Yeah. And then review all the ideas, and then an and you got later, to see what the big guys were doing with that kind of stuff. And we were, I think, everybody in the room was pretty much, you know, anywhere between a CD and a junior art director. Right. I was, I was right. just a junior art director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was also working on um, uh, Shearson Lehman. Um, I was working on, uh, I think, we were working on American. I can't remember. Uh, I worked on Lufthansa Airlines, which was pretty right. cool because um, yeah. we would always have to go to meetings in Germany. And then I would just get lost for a couple of days and go to the Greek islands. Yeah, yeah. Which I figured out how to engineer that. That's cool. Um, was that your first time out of the country? No, I did a little traveling after college. But right. that was the first time I realized, holy crap, yeah. there's this whole other world out there. Yeah. And um, I can let somebody else pay for it. So, right. Um, I used to I used to go to Frankfurt or or Munich or or Cologne and then I would just jump on a train or or, or, or you know go to Athens and then jump on another putter jumper to go to the Greek islands or, yeah. or to Paris or London those kinds of things. Is that an important thing for people? Do you think to travel and see see the world 
uh, before you become a um, before you sit down and, and lock yourself in a room? Yeah, I mean anything to to see things differently. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a big part of New York City too. Is like that that it's a place where there everything is new all the time. New uh, New York. Yeah, and there's there's all different kinds of people here. So like every day you're seeing something. It's a circus. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. There's if, if I go from my office to uh, you know to Baltazar or something, there'll be three acts. Yeah. By the time I get to the front door, you right? Know, and one of them is not great, and another one is insanely crazy, and the other one is you know literally a guy on a unicycle with a ball on his head. That's just you know there's, there's I, always something going on. So yeah, I I I try to leave New York twice. I try to uh, oh yeah to go to London. Uh, I love Europe. I loved London. I thought right. I thought British advertising was so much cooler than American advertising. Yeah, you know, better fonts. They use drop shadows. Yeah, you know, uh, brilliant writing. You know, yeah. long format, brilliant writing. Um, so I, I dabbled around. When we were at Kirschbaum. I used to uh, go over to to London um, once a year to recruit, just to get better, more different. Right, creative people in the mix, like the Kikis, you know, get those yes um, Brits in there. I always felt like I snuck into that place because, well, obviously I was I came in through Mark DeMassimo and and sort of the direct arm of Kirschenbaum. They were doing some direct work, right? right. So uh, I oh, so I didn't hire you, but Mark did. No, you didn't hire me, but I always felt like I I I sort of snuck in to the greatest party ever. And I was just like in the corner of being like, okay, cool, you know, and just kind of learning from everybody. Um, that's how everybody felt, Tom. Yeah, and <laughs> it's how everybody felt. And that's that's what I know now. But back then I was like, oh. And I remember you talking about the guy who ends up being my partner, uh, Josh Comer Purcell. And you're like, and he used to be a drag queen. And I and I was standing outside your, your office waiting to show you work. And I hear that and I just go, oh. God damn it. I'm never going to be cool enough for this place. They're hiring a guy who used to be a drag queen now. What the hell am I supposed to do? I'm just a kid from Jersey. Uh, but he ended up being my partner, and we ended up doing some pretty fun work together. Josh is great. Um, so many he is now doing right. I'm amazing things. Oh, you are? No, That's okay. amazing. <laughs> uh, Josh, call uh, Bill at Oberland. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, those were great times, and I feel like that was – for me, where I fell in love finally with advertising, because you know I was just like I, I loved it, but I didn't know how to do it yet. But right. when I got there, I saw the craziness and the characters and the sort of you know the Brian Hughes's and the Spurdutis and the right. Spade, you know, Bucky, all those guys. Yeah, um, all and that's really, when I was still like, really great friends. Of mine. And that's oh, that wow. was my like. Those were my formidable high school years, like yeah. Hershey Mountain. Yes, me too. I was there for six years, and I was uh, I'm so glad I did that. That was incredible. So thank you oh. for keeping me on and not throwing me out. Um, but what, what when you got? How did you get there? How did, what was the? Uh, that's a good question. Thank you for bringing. Let's us back. go back to your story. Uh, so I was at McCann. McCann was very, you know, I, it it was, you know, my uh, grown up time to, you know. My first shoot. Oh yeah, let's talk about your first shoot. I scheduled the whole thing without getting the client approval. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know there was a yeah. art buyer. I didn't know there was an approval process. I was doing an ad. Believe it or not, <laughs> it comes full circle. You know, like twenty five years later, that I'm, yeah. it was for a. Uh, I think it was like Meals on Wheels or 
Habitat for Humanity. It was like it was for it was for not for profit. Yeah. And um, you know, I did up I did all the work, and then I called the photographer who I've always wanted to to work with. Right. And um, we agreed. And uh, I, I honestly I don't know how I got it done because I had to give him a. Fifty percent deposit, right? For production. Yeah. Next thing you know, I was. Did you have a producer working with you that could have no. like told you like, hey, no, I didn't know. Oh, because no. it was pro bono and it was like all those things. I guess so. it was off the radar. I didn't know to know, and it wasn't until, <laughs> um, I, I was uh, at his studio and I got a call from the account person saying, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "We're going to work with Elliot Irwin. It's awesome." And yeah, like, dude, the client hasn't even like bought Signed the idea. Off on like, this. Do, do, do. I was just going off and doing my thing. <laughs> that's amazing. And my but first, that's sort of your thing, right? Like you made your own curriculum. You made like you just take things into your own hands and do them. Dumb as a box of rocks, huh? Right. I just didn't know what I was doing. Dumb, but also good enough that you actually made the shoot happen. You were on the shoot. It well, was I, was in the, I was in the pre pre production. Yeah, so, I had to, I had to get the client to buy the idea first, and then sign. So did you go back and get the client to buy the idea? Yeah, yeah. and they bought it. Yeah, it was full full page New York Times. Uh, another great story when I was at McCann was my first TV shoot. Yeah, was for uh, a pen company, um, Bic Papermate. I forget. And it, the the idea was, uh, and I can't imagine how we did this back in the day because it was like 1987, right. and uh, it was for so it was a giant pen. Yeah, of the competitor. It's, it's so like 80s <laughs> advertising that came past this guy who was making the pitch. Yeah, so he walked through the line. Right. That the pen left and left footsteps. Ah, uh, a demo. Yes. And then our pen came through, and he walked through it, and there were no footsteps to okay. say that it's faster drying ink. And he was talking to camera. He was talking to camera. He was doing the pitch, and the monster pen came by. Obviously, yeah. it was done in post. Right. Um, no, but on the shoot, you know, there we were in Hollywood, and yeah. um, I didn't know you're supposed to like when you take a cab, you're supposed to keep a receipt for your expense report. Like, sure. <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff. On the shoot, on this big stage, I was uh, picking out neckties for the talent, and I just passed out. I never saw the shoot. You passed I out? I just passed out. The animals came and took me away. I had food poisoning. Oh, The my production God. company took us to sushi on right. Sunset the, the night before, and I yeah. just had food poisoning, and I just, I missed all. Oh, I never God. saw my first shoot. Oh, my God. Who, did you have a partner on the shoot? Did you have a yeah. boss on the shoot? No, no, no. My, the... uh, I remember my writer partner, he basically did the whole thing. I mean, it was basically a dialogue. Thing, right, you know? right. I think I, I think I put the necktie next to his shirt as I fell. <laughs> they said that's the tie, and then get this guy out of here. Oh my god. Um, so yeah. So you woke up and you were in a like, hospital. How did it go? Yeah. <laughs> and by the time I got out of the hospital, they had already. They maybe they did like fifty takes, and they did out of town to the top five, and I saw four, and I was like, oh, well, the last one's the best. <laughs> Love this job. It's not that hard. Can you imagine we have fifty? You can do it in a hospital gown. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're still here with us. School of Hard after Rocks. After that, yeah. Um, I actually had that same thing happen to me. I got food poisoning on a shoot, and I had to be in a room, in a dark room, because the light was too much, and uh, I missed the whole thing. But um, Oh, I didn't answer your question. How did I get to KMB? Yeah, how'd you get to KMB? So, uh, remarkably, back to pens, I did an ad um, at McCann Erickson for a French fountain pen called Waterman. I think it was the competition to, uh, like, a Mont Blanc or something like that, and... It was a pretty uh, different ad. It, it didn't talk about uh, the product or, or uh, you know, the attributes or anything. That it was just talking about lifestyle. And mm -hmm. I think the first ad was this woman laying on a on a stage lounge, and it's, and she's uh, it was like she was in Paris somewhere, and it said, 
Copy said something to the effect like she had all these beautiful things in her life, but because she didn't have a, a Waterman pen, she was miserable. Okay. That, it, that's, that not, the, that's not the poetry of it, but right. it, that was the essence of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So at the top was a sliver of the photograph, and then there was type cascading to the bottom. At the bottom was the pen. And I got a call from Lori Greenberg saying that Richard Kirshenbaum saw it in a magazine, and she wanted he wanted her to find out who the art director was. Oh, wow. And that's how he would recruit people. He would just, like, rip out ads and uh, be like, this one, that That's one. how he recruited me. Um, he made me an offer. Was he just—it was just Richard doing the work back then, right? This was just—they were mm. very small. How big were they? Maybe 15 people. Yeah. Maybe 15. No, Andy Spade was there. Okay. David Buckingham was there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe three or four other creatives. Um, and you were working at one place and basically moonlighting. Yes. For Kirschenbaum. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Moonlighting. I don't even remember sending him an invoice. Right. Think of it. Yeah. He owes you a lot of money. Um, at least twelve hundred bucks. Or <laughs> yeah, something. yeah, yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah. But um, did you, yeah. So, th- so, th- so he made me an offer, and uh, I showed up, and I was Richard's partner. Wow. I was Richard Kirschbaum's art director. And then Richard, quite frankly, didn't want to be in the in the weeds with the creative development process. He right. basically said, I want you to run the creative department. Go. How do you I had no, you had no idea, idea what you were doing? <laughs> no idea what to do. <laughs> I mean, you have to understand, I was a senior <sighs> art director right. at McCann Erickson. Right. And at a big agency that's got all the right. so stuff a, waiting for but there's you. There's 180 creative people. Yeah. I'm one, I'm like number 59 of 180. And there's a production department. And, and Richard plucks a... me out and puts me in front of these rock stars of wow. of, of the these up and coming people in Soho. Yeah. And people were now presenting me ideas. And I was like, hamana, 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 fake it. Fake yeah. it till you make it. Yes. No, just, just make it up. Yeah. Um, and just, I just, you know, just tried to. <laughs> That's incredible. I had to muddle through it until finally I figured, you know, something else out. What do you think it was that he saw in you that you had? Like, what? <clears throat> what can people get out of that? Like, what can they? I think Richard was. Um, you were a snazzy dresser, and you were a handsome man. No, you know, Richard. Are once, a handsome Richard, man. Richard said once about uh, Amy Nicholson and uh, Risa Mickenberg. Um, actually, Amy, Amy was my first art director hire. Uh, that was another thing. Like, now I can hire people. Yeah. Cool. And she's now a documentary filmmaker right. doing beautiful films. Right, right. Um, and one of my closest friends. But yeah. um, I, I – she, Richard said that Risa was the cheekbone and Risa was the uh, – sorry, Risa was the cheekbones <laughs> and Amy was the backbone of that relationship. And I think that's that was the relationship with Richard and I. He was more cheekbone. I was more backbone. Like he would go into a client meeting and he was very, you know, open and he would talk about the latest book he read. And next thing you know, they're exchanging books because they belong to the same book club. And, (laughs) you know, he's really good with birthdays and names and networking and making people feel comfortable from the beginning. And I was like the Sherman tank. I was just like, like, file through it and try to get the work done. Right. So I think it was a good relationship that he, he was a little bit more. You know, yeah, the magic dust, and I was just like, you know, blocking and tackling and getting it done and getting it out. Yeah. And what did you? What was your first thing that you got out of there? Oh, oh, that? oh, that's another great story. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you agree. Yes. Um. So, 
Is this Duckhead? So I was uh, – no, not Duckhead. I was working uh, with Bucky, David Buckingham, who's now a sculptor in Los Angeles. Very, okay. Very uh, successful. Um, and they had worked <laughs> – so ridiculous. They had worked on a campaign for El Presidente brandy, spiced brandy. <laughs> I mean John would pitch anything. You right. Know? So um, Bucky went on vacation to Mexico and John said, hey, we have a meeting with the New York Post. What do you think we should do? Uh, and it was the three biggest lies of El Presidente spiced brandy. Wow. I just said. And El Presidente didn't buy it. No, no, we did not win the business. Right. But the comps were laying in my office. Yes. And I said, who wants to switch out a logo? Wow. And we did the three biggest lies of New York. The three biggest. Bucky didn't even know. He was away. He came back and the campaign was bought. We're already in production. That's amazing. And so three biggest slides. Talk about the three biggest no, slides. No, nobody ever idea? recycles in advertising. What was it? No, all no, the that ideas is a, are original. That is a great. Keep all of your ideas. Everyone keep all of your ideas because right. they will come back. I've done several things where, uh, you know. Uh, this is going back, I think it was like 1990. Yeah. Um, I started in December of 89. Right after that, um, uh, the New York Post thing hit. And we presented to... Um, who owned the New York Post at the time? Big restaurant, um, sorry, real real estate guy. Um, uh, Donald Richard, Trump. Ish, like the number two Trump of, right. of, of yeah. real estate in New York yeah. City. Um, it'll come back to me. And um, we presented one campaign. It was the three biggest lies in New York. And it was basically the, the third you lie was always- one campaign. The third lie, third lie was always, I never read the Post. Right. So we, we had a little bit of research that said people read it, they just admit it because it's too trashy. Yeah. yeah. So they would- they spotted people at the newsstand buying the Times and then buying the Post and sticking the Post inside the Times. It was a guilty pleasure. It was shameful. So that was uh, a, a human insight that you found. How did you find that? Bucky human found insight. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he went to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it had no business being on El Presidente no. spiced rum from Mexico. Right, it, right. I, I wasn't there at the time. I was still in Flint, Michigan or something. Yeah. So uh, so I just switched it out and I, I went to – so the first lie was like, don't don't worry, my roommate won't hear us. Right. Um, Bucky Dent will be our manager all year. It was like – it was a Mets manager. It was like, you know, yeah. New York-isms. Yeah. And the third one was always – uh, I never read the post. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And there was no body copy. And the art direction was so – Posty, I loved it. It was, uh, right. it was like it was torn out of the post. It was like, big, yeah, that big. was that was like that was a real risk for me at the time. I had no idea how I was going to art direct this thing because it's a list, right? Right, like what am I going to do with a list? Right, and I, I, I kind of went back to my design chops and said, why don't I just treat it more as a, as a like a graphics like typographic sculpture as opposed to. Here's the headline. Here's the logo, and there's some body copy in the middle. It was more of this. I took an icon of the city, where it was a you know a New York City token or an apple right. or yep. uh, some other. I forget what it was. And then from that icon, these three lines. A kind rat, of, I believe. A rat was one of them. Might have been a rat. Didn't have any pizza. Um, no, no pizza rat back then. I think it was a pizza and a rat, but they weren't together. Oh, three different, two different ads. We might have scooped have, something. I think, <laughs> you might have come up with pizza rat before pizza rat did. Probably That's not. the headline. Probably not. <laughs> but the the art direction was controversial. People were like, what is that? That doesn't look like an ad. That oh, looks, really? That's weird. I was like, in the best way. Yeah. So the, the lines shot out from the icon in the, in the corner was uh, the, the the logo. But again, going back to what we were talking about the New York Post, everything was at a register. Yeah. So I went to a, co a, you know, a copier shop and I took a Mylar picture of the, the black plate or the black 
you know, yeah. forms. And then I did a red Xerox oh. on vellum and I put them on the art. So I was making the art myself. Yeah. Like I took a, I took, it I was like took, art. I just took a token and blew it up 60,000%. Yes. And that was the art. So it fell apart, which gave it the grittiness. Yeah. And then when the campaign went to the printer, the printer came back and another great <laughs> advertising story. He fixed it. Of course he did. <laughs> he had all the uh, the alignment. He yeah. took all of my mess and just made it and up cleaned it up. Dark I red. A, I had to reprint it to make it bad. So that I was printed twice. And so you you went out to the printer. Obviously, you went to the printer and yep. you saw it. Yeah, um, someplace around South Amboy, New Jersey. Yeah, I remember that being uh, a very iconic campaign. And a lot of the campaigns that came out of uh, Kershaw that was formative for me. It was the first time that I thought of like an ad can be a statement and not just a. It can be sort of a cultural statement, right? And not just a piece of communication that can sort of make like the spray painting on the on the ground was that right. when you were that there was Risa, that was yeah. Risa Mickenberg from here it looks um, like a new pair of underwear yeah from here it looks like you need you a, need a new pair of underwear a new pair of underwear For, uh, it was a, a friend of Richard who owned a lingerie store yeah and then Snapple when did they come to I mean just going back to what your the, the culture of Kirschenbaum and Bond yeah. was um, it wasn't like find me I mean, our whole hiring policy was: don't get me a good creative, get me a person who sees things differently. Yeah. That was it. Like, get me, get me, you know, the freaks and geeks and yeah. the artists. And Richard said, if you know, if you're not in jail, we'll hire you. Like, he was just like, yeah. just get as many weirdos, you know, uh, the best of weirdos in, yeah. in the place. And um, so, the the Snapple thing was, uh, I and Wendy was just in my office the other day. We were talking about it. Yeah. Um, so Ogilvy, there was a creative guy at Ogilvy, he was a writer, um, and he he was married at the time to a woman who was doing the deal with the Snapple founders, mm-hmm. and she was wise enough to say, hey, why don't you just be, go to the client side and become the marketing director at Snapple, and then we can cut you in the deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm like. 29 years old. Yeah. No. You're, what? Yeah. What are you writing? You Now you're a marketing director? So, yeah. So it was this gentleman who looked for an agency that would just come at things differently. And, yeah. you know, like I, I have to give, you know, John and Richard and, and the crew in that agency at the time, it was a kick in the head. Like everything that I learned up until then was foundational. Yeah. But I needed to put it and then move on because Kirschman was Anything goes. Yeah. What was it that you had to sort of re-jigger? What was the thing that was the kick in the head? What was the... I mean, I remember sitting... There were two campaigns we presented to Snapple. There were two campaigns. One was... I, I and, and this was the whole thing about not being self-aware to judge yourself as you're just spewing out stupid creative ideas, you yeah. know? One was Three Biggest Lies. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Just brought it back again. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So uh, it was the letters campaign. Yeah. Right. And that sure. was Risa and Amy going to Valley Stream, Long Island and meet, going to the market department. There's Wendy with all these boxes of letters around her. Yeah. And it was basically a documentary. It, it was, it was of, such a great idea way ahead of its time because technology I mean, could have taken it to the gazillionth degree. Yeah. Uh, but they were insightful and they fell in love with Wendy and Wendy fell in love with them and they just said, yeah. hey, if, and the strategy was uh, truth, just 
we're just going to be truthful. Like yeah. we're all natural. We translate the truth and turn it into a human thing, yeah. right? So forget about the juice. It's all about behaving like a human. So that's why yes. commercials about labels being upside down and you misspelled de vanilla, you know, yeah. which I went to Paris to ask Parisians, how do you spell de? Oh, you were there for that. Oh, shoot. I flew to Paris on the Concorde <laughs> to ask people how do you spell de? And they answered in French, so it didn't matter. I mean, really. But uh, I but think that, Jude, was, that was a really fun spot. Jude, so Rich, so, so, so the letters campaign was one campaign, and the other campaign, Rich and I, it was, all we did was just open the, we just fanned the phone book, mm -hmm. and we blindly pointed to a name, and we called up whoever that was on their home phone mm -hmm. and asked them if they loved Snapple. And that, that was, was it. That was going to be the campaign. That was the campaign. And how are you going to shoot that? No idea. <laughs> I think it was just going to be... Richard and I with a locked off camera. Just how's it go? So we're going to put radio on television. Yeah, I mean, but that, that yeah. doesn't matter. It was just yeah. whacked. Yeah, there was no headline. There was no. It was just. But it all came from an insight that was both both those things: the the post uh, stuff and the Snapple stuff. It comes out of the brand truth, which is like Snapple is made in New York by a bunch of you know, like 20 people in a small factory and this, you know, it's it's real and that is the thing that makes it good. Uh, therefore, we got to be real with everything we do. And right. that that's was... why those two ideas are perfectly on strategy. Yeah. Uh, and the post, the truth about it. And and, and what I love about uh, Kirschenbaum was that that's what they would do is like, Tell the truth and run, basically. It's like <laughs> pretty much tell, tell the truth is a brick and we're just gonna throw it at you. Right. You know? But I mean, the unlikelihood of selling the El Presidente brandy campaign to the New York Post. Yeah. Because we bought, you know, back in the day, we spent two million dollars and it was everywhere, like bus shelters and telephone right. kiosks and urban panels on the side of buses. It was yes. everywhere. So it felt like it was a real Kick in the pants for uh, for the agency. It just got on the radar really quickly. Not to mention, you know, Kenneth Cole is already already doing that. And right, um, but Jaime, Arnie, and Lenny from Snapple were just great. They 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 saw the two campaigns and they excused themselves, and they went in the back room with Jude and they came out and they said, "We're good. You're our agency." Wow. And then, so that was a pitch. It was a pitch, and yeah. um, and I think Lenny, somebody, I don't know which of the brothers or which of the, the partners said. There's only one uh, prerequisite. You have to say, I have to hear the word Snapple seven times in 30 seconds. That's our only ask. Right. And they rolled the dice again, like Wendy? Yeah, she was Put the her real on the air. She was the real woman who really manned the phones at Snapple. Yeah. She she and, no, she answered all the letters with a pen writing back with a Oh, she was she the person who answered all the letters. She was she was customer relationship. Yeah. Wow. CRM. And when you saw her, you guys were like, we need to use her. She's, she's the one. She's not Cindy, Cindy Crawford. She's not Michael Jackson. Yeah. That's Coke and Pepsi. And we were not artifice. We were real. We were yeah. truthful. Warts and all. Yeah. Here she comes. Yeah. And um, she never blinked. Like, Wendy was so into it. Yeah. And everything about it. And she's still Wendy the Snapple lady. I mean, she will always be Wendy the Snapple lady, right. uh, no matter how uh, much they try to. Uh, Beautiful. The new be. management tries to say we don't we don't believe in Wendy the Snapple lady anymore. She's always going to be. They the tried brand. to ditch her numerous times, but yeah. yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I, I worked for Cliff Freeman, uh, and we had that account when I went there. We ended up losing it because they were just very corporate. Um, 
and we would show them stuff and say, you got to go back to this like natural, and and they didn't want anything to do with that. They wanted it to be healthy. For the 10 and years. Like, the, you can't say healthy. You can say natural. You can't say healthy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not, to be fair. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's full of it's, sugar. It's, all, it's so. all relative because Coke and Pepsi were basically right, right, corrosive. Right. But yeah. um, it was, it was, uh, and that was, that was, it was four years of, of Snapple. And, you know, we, yeah. I don't know when you started the agency, but it was, uh, we were on the third floor. And next yep. thing you know, we took over four or five, half of six and half yep. of two. Yep. And we were building it out and, you know, it was, you know, construction everywhere and yeah. plaster everywhere. And I remember sitting in the new, our new conference room and the conference table had, you know, of course, which I designed with the architect to make it perfect. Um, <laughs> We didn't. The table hadn't arrived yet, and we had refrigerator boxes on their sides as an improvisational conference table. Yeah. And the account guy Nick Shaw walked in and said, "We just lost the account." Oh. <laughs> like that was love the, this business. Uh, you were doing the we're number three campaign. Uh, yeah. They so they ditched. Uh, so that was that was Tom Kuntz and uh, Mike McGuire. Tom Kuntz and Mike McGuire were working on that, and I remember being like, "I want to work on Snapple." And then oh, you lost right. the account, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to work on Snapple anymore." Right. It was it was after when he left. It was a rough ride. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, I know, I want to be after they got three, bought by Quaker. Quaker basically, it, it became a rough ride because, right. and that happens a lot, right? When yeah. when a new company buys a brand, it changes it completely, and there's something about that. Do you like uh, now? You're doing uh, Overland. We'll just skip over Ogilvy McCann. <laughs> you go on to Ogilvy, you go on to McCann, big agencies. <clears throat> Uh, you end up here at o Oberland. Where did that it's come weird. from? It's weird. I went to the agency. It was called Oberland. And I said, this, "These are my people." Yeah, you have to work, work there. Yeah, so um, it was named after you. It was. It was. You know, a couple things happened. I was on the creative review committee for the ad council mm -hmm. for seven, eight years. I kept sitting in those meetings, saying, "Why can't this be my agency?" Right. Why can't I just have the ad council without the ad council part? Like, right. Why isn't there an agency that does this? Why can't I stop secondhand smoke? Why can't I prevent children from eating lead paint? Why can't I help yeah. single moms? Like, I mean, why? That would be cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could, I could, I, I might be able to do that. And then um, for your listening audience, there was a pivot point where I was at J. Walter Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, where as, you and I worked. As all of us were at uh, some Where point. you and I had worked together. Again, a reunion, if you will. Yes. Um, I got a call from uh, from Richard's uh, sister, Susan, saying, how would you like to get out of the uh, agency rat race? And I was like, well, lay it on me. Yeah. And uh, she said, Robin Hood, the Robin Hood Foundation. Right. So I left and went you to- You went client side. I went, I went to the Robin Hood Foundation for two reasons. One is I'm thinking I really need to get my not-for-profit chops if I want to start this ad council, non-ad council thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was the marketing director, not the creative director. So my title was- uh, it was communication, marketing, and events. So I was doing many things other than just, you know, branding. I right. mean, we did this campaign called uh, Fight Poverty Like a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. But that was one piece of a lot of stuff I had done. The first thing I did was was uh, uh, help produce the 12-12-12 concert. Cause oh, yeah. I was there. So my job was to uh, to was to was help. This is interesting. So the Robin Hood Foundation is, is, is supported by uh, the hedge fund community. So it's mm -hmm. all billionaires. You know, right. You walk into a... Uh, a board meeting, it's like you're looking at $65 billion. Like yeah. there's no iron left in the room. It's right. just like 
So they had a really good handle on the billionaire market. They needed to get millionaires. So my job was to widen the funnel of the appeal of the organization to bring in more millionaires without alienating the billionaires. Mm. So let the millionaires into the billionaires club without pissing off the billionaires because right. they wanted to still keep it exclusive. Oh, that's interesting. So that's how we did the Five Poverty Like a New York thing was to say, hey, you're a billionaire and you could be Robert De Niro right. in, yeah. your, in your mind. Yeah. Um, but no, I so that was my job as a macro, but my micro was all of a sudden this terrible thing came into our area called Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. And there was, you know, ridiculous amount of damage and people losing homes and mm. synagogues and schools and everything was destroyed, you know, yeah. in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So I remember, you know, sitting at my desk and all of a sudden someone said, come into this room and it was Harvey Weinstein. Wow. And, and, um, and Dolan from MSG yeah. and John Sykes from uh, iHeartRadio and we're going to put on a show. So wow. all of a sudden it was six weeks out, and we had a, and we we you know we picked a couple of dates, and I and I and um I, I said you know December twelfth is available, you know maybe you can move the, the Rangers off the ice and we could have a concert. Yeah. And he goes that's a great idea, and I said but just you know, Jim, if I could just point out it's it's twelve twelve twelve. Right. Is that a good thing? He goes oh, I love it. I'm like oh shit. Yeah yeah. It's like yeah. six 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 times two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he said, I want a logo. Yeah. Come back tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I came came back and we just put the the Fender guitar inside the two three yeah. times and got the 12, 12, 12 logo. Yeah. So I have the t shirt. Yeah. I put on, there was a show, I mean, all access pass. And like, so that was, that was events. Yeah. The biggest event I ever threw was 50 that people was... at my 50th birthday party. Yeah. I yeah. Think <laughs> I was 26 million, 26,000 people in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> That's and two amazing. million eyeballs around the. The globe. Uh, so that's how Overland came to be. I basically was jonesing for my own and yeah. council. And um, I, you know, at the Robert Hood Foundation, you would just see all this need. Yeah. And you needed there needed to be purpose. Yeah. To help these to to help these you know these uh, you know New Yorkers. Or yeah. New Yorkers in need. Obviously, what I do now is do more than that. You know, um, I certainly have New York City clients, but. Mm -hmm. I have four for profit clients as well, um, but they they all do good for the world. Is that yes. the is that the thing that that? Yeah, it's basically at the center of everything. I mean, the pitch is people now more than ever, and you can see it in Can. You know, people want meaning in their lives. Yeah, they want more meaning, whether it's you know from their partner, from their their synagogue, or from the car they drive, or from the you know, the coffee they drink. Mm -hmm. So it seems like uh, marketers are looking for more purpose in their message, whether it's, you know, um, Dove or uh, Fearless Girl, or, you know, like there's yeah. that thing's happening. Yeah. And then not-for-profits are starting to behave more like marketers because mm -hmm. they can't fool around anymore because the dollars are getting more and more scarce. So they yeah. have to be much more aggressive about how to position themselves. So we're, Overland's in the intersection of those two things happening at once. That's very cool. So um, that's what we're doing. And I, I think it speaks to your, uh, there, there's something that you getting involved with things like the Art Directors Club, you were the you were the president, president yeah. for a, a bunch of years and, and uh, the Ad Council. A lot of people think that that's just, a, you know, an ego thing or, a, or um, I don't know, uh, something to write off your taxes, but like- Definitely not. It, it, helped, your, it helped your career. It helped your, uh, you, you got to see other things, right? And right. like, I, I, would, I would encourage everyone to, to join a bunch of organizations and go to those things and go to the meetings. Right. And, I mean, you have the power to create change, you know? Yeah. And 
Dark Horse Club was all about, you know, helping obviously individuals uh, in this career, but also reaching out to the colleges so these kids can get placement and even right. high schools, like kids in, you know, not great neighborhoods don't know anything. They didn't know there's a media career. They yeah. just thought, you know, either have to work in a cubicle or yeah. have to, you know, work in a mechanics car. Like they didn't know. And now they're they're all being taught to tell stories in film on their phones, right? I right. mean, they're all Snapchatting. Uh, my kids, they do the funniest little stories. And right. you're just like, wow, you're basically teaching yourself uh, storytelling. Uh, and I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of people should be should be thinking about a career in advertising because, you know, it's, it's just, it's fun. Right. Um, and you get to do things like uh, create a logo for the 121212 concert. Um, nice t-shirt. And help, uh, help people. In the world, it doesn't fit me anymore because I, I put it in the dryer too many times. That's but, what happened. But I'll just I'll I'll frame it. You can sign <laughs> it for me. No, it's even um, the the wind is at our back because even simple things like hiring. Mm. When people learn about Overland, um, we just uh, brought a, a woman over from uh, Shiat, you know, and she worked mm -hmm. in the media labs and she worked on the Oceanic Society thing mm -hmm. and she wanted to move to New York and she found us because that's what we do. Yeah. So everything we do is very personal. I mean, it's, it is dramatic, you know? I mean, it's funny when people, you know, you've been in the meeting where some people say like, we're not curing cancer here. And I'm like, I actually yeah. have three cancer clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the world's not going to end. I'm like, well, actually, it may. keeping America beautiful is worried. <laughs> um, what do you look for in books or sites, I guess you'd call them now, but um, uh, in work? Or in people, even. It's just, it, I mean, you, I'm sure you have the same experience. It's just, you just need to see one thing. They go, whoa, mm. I didn't see that coming. Mm. I didn't think to think of it that way. Mm. That So strategic insight and then the creative execution just, just really just touches your goosebumps. You're just like, that's something I didn't expect. If I see one good thing in someone's book. Yeah. I'm already like 90% sold. Yeah. Actually, I have to stop myself from asking my uh, admin person, can you just well, go to breakfast because I really want to meet this person. Right. I have to do a little bit more. Like the other day, I, I hired someone I never checked for references because I was just so excited to meet him and get him on staff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to slow myself, my enthusiasm <laughs> down a little bit. <laughs> do you see this thing? Check it yeah. out. Look at it. Um, yeah, and I sit right with all my creative guys. So yeah. if I get excited about something, I'm always, you know. That's cool. Hey, everybody, check this. Did you see that coming? That's whacked. Yeah. Um, but also now that, you know, I'm in this purpose space, people that are are on a, on a, on a personal level committed to stuff. Yeah. You know, so they're, they've already like this gal from Media Lab or um, somebody has had uh, illness in their life and they started, you know, looking out for – um, some cancer society or some, you know, kidney society, arthritic. Like there's all kinds of personal reasons why people get motivated to help. Right. And if I see that on a resume, that definitely catches my eye as well because their heart's in it. Yeah. Um, and then and the, I've actually, I've the actually, interview is – you've actually what? Sorry, go ahead. No, I'll actually see a, a good book and I won't see any personal philanthropic engagement, any sacrifice on that person's behalf. Engagement. Get out there, mm. you know, because we're not doing this for ourselves. This is a bigger community issue. Right. I the recruiters called and said, "Why? What's 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 not to like?" And I said, "I just don't think he cares enough." Right. And I pass on that book. I mean, you know, luckily I had a book behind it that had both. But right, right. Um, 
So we we get a lot of inqu- inquiries about you know that thing. People millennials are obviously it's a yeah very popular thing. Yeah, these millennials, um, which goes back to <laughs> words. Oh yeah, let's and, let's, um, talk, let's talk about that. Words yeah. versus pictures. Right. So uh, I never said words don't matter, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I may have gotten a call or a letter or an email from Bill Overlander right after I, I said that in the – I forget what podcast it was. No, we had breakfast. Oh, yeah. Well, we also had breakfast. I tried to buy you out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just I, – I, it's very simple. And I, You remember at Kirschbaum, I used to look at the work upside down first? Yeah. So I couldn't read it, so I could just feel it. So if you're – number one, you have to be graphically pulled to it. You have to be attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And the words are secondary. You have to – and there's so much noise and so much reason to not engage. Mm. Visually, you have to have that thing grab you by the eyeballs. Yeah. Then you get the permission to read the copy, and then you fall in love, and you get engaged, and then you start buying things. So I uh, give you that, sir. I don't. I don't. So my best friends are writers. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Some of his best friends are writers. I uh, I'm so glad you could come here. Uh, and thank you for for being on the show. Is there anything I didn't I didn't ask you or that uh, you wanted to say that I missed? Because uh, I'm new at this. You're the interviewer. How do people find you on the uh, on the internets and and things? Uh, to your point earlier, the agency is called Oberland, mm. which is kind of a curse and a blessing because some people invite me to meetings and I'm listed as Bill Oberland. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it would be easier, right? Yeah. New York and the people who live there are New Yorkers, right? Overland. So if you work, there's a place called Overland in the Swiss Swiss Alps, mm-hmm. which is the highest peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and over means over. And people people that live there are called Overlanders. So, mm. but sometimes I get invo- uh, checks made out to the agency called Overlander Inc. And I'm like, I can't cash it. <laughs> so I'm still working that out. Yeah. So Overland.com. Uh, Overland. Uh, oh, sorry. This is Overland.com. This is Overland.com. And this is Bill Overlander. And this is BillOverlander.org. Thank you for, for being here. All right, Thomas. So uh, that was my chat with Bill Overlander. What a great guy. He doesn't throw chairs. There's a myth that he does. He doesn't like me to talk about it. He never has thrown a chair. I've never seen it. Let's just say that. But, uh, you know, he's been around in this business for a while, like myself. He knows what he's doing. And uh, I love his his whole vibe. He's a very handsome man. This has been The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you so much for listening to this and for reaching out to me. And people have been so nice about this podcast. Um, I'd love to have uh, everyone on it. We're trying. We're trying to get through the entire... Um, the entire advertising universe of people to get all your origin stories. Um, But uh, please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed, uh, do contact us through adhousenyc.com. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com and tell Lauren that Tom sent you. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.